0: Greetings and salutations, darklings. We are Chell and Tori, and welcome to "Vampires Ruined My Life." Tonight, we're going to
1: discuss the Swedish vampire novel "Let the Right One In." We'll also briefly discuss the Swedish movie adaptation.
0: "Let the Right One In" by John Avita Linquist was published in 2004 in Sweden. The English translation was published in the U.S. in 2007. The story takes place in 1981. There is a Swedish film based on the novel called Let the Right One In, which came out in 2008. In 2010, there was an American remake called Let Me In.
1: I have never seen the American version either, so I don't know anything about it. I just know it exists. I have
0: exactly zero interest in watching it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is 100% fair.
0: Yeah, I've heard it's like, it's good. It's just really unnecessary so
1: yeah it's kind of like how they made a u.s version of being human and it's like why mm-hmm.
0: the uk version is fine we don't need an american version Mm-hmm. Lindquist has written several other novels including handling the undead which is about zombies and grief he was a stand-up comedian and magician for over a decade before he sat down to write his debut novel let the right one in
1: nice i don't think i realized this was his first novel that's pretty cool
0: yeah and you can find his uh like bits of his stand-up i mean all in swedish of course but it, it, they're on youtube <laughs> it's great <laughs> that's funny i was like is that like when i was looking up some stuff for him i was like is that him <laughs> and i go, oh my god it is and then sure enough in, the, in his wikipedia it says you know, he was a stand-up comic
1: well he does so. have a good sense of humor so that's he not does super he's such a
0: delight i mean yeah. that that short little interview I sent to you with him speaking in English, like on his Australian tour, it was mm-hmm. amazing. And he did like a little magic trick at, <laughs> yeah, <and laughs> at it was really cute. So yeah, I I would one hundred percent go to like a book signing or something of him. Yeah, oh, I would too,
1: absolutely. And handling the undead was like, I read it right after my dad died. I actually, listened to the audio book. Um, I listened to the audio book of Let the Right One In too originally, and I'm um, just like handling the dead was really cathartic. Just grief-wise, like it was one of those books that, like, I don't know, it just made me feel better. So I feel like I will always appreciate him for that, because when you're in the throes of grief, it's hard to find stuff that really makes you feel any
0: better, and it did, so yay. So we have a glossary of the main characters, even though this is an ensemble cast. First, we have Oscar, a 12-year-old boy who's badly bullied at school to the point that he fantasizes about murdering his bullies. Mm-hmm. He's an only child, a latchkey kid, and his parents are separated. Well, I think they're properly divorced, actually. I think they are, yeah. Yeah, they're they're divorced, and you know, he's just a lonely little outcast. And then we have Ile, a vampire who was turned at the age of 12, and they are about 200, 220 years old. Mm-hmm. Hoken or Haken, he is a mortal man who was fired from his job at a local school after neighbors reported him for the kinds of gross tapes that he received in the mail. Yeah. Uh, child porn, basically. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a pedophile. Yeah. 100%. He became an alcoholic, but Ile found him and told him to stop drinking and be, be with her, meaning like not her thrall necessarily, but like a human assistant
1: yeah assistant I didn't want to say I feel like companions probably too close for their relationship but Mm -hmm. like someone who can like because obviously Ely looks 12 and so renting an apartment living by themselves like that kind of thing can be really hard and at the beginning of the story she's also very weak and needs help so like yeah I think he's just there to like help her out Mm -hmm. and for pronouns I'm just gonna call Ely she Uh, until Ely switches to he himself, because it kind of goes back. It starts at she goes to he, and I don't know. I mean, she is very gender non-conforming. So I'm not, yeah. I I figure I'll just go with what the book does, pronoun-wise. Then we have Virginia. Virginia is one of a group of regulars who hangs out at a Chinese restaurant bar. So it's like a a local restaurant that has a bar and it has a gang of regulars to hang out there. If you ever worked at a bar or restaurant. You know that there's always like a group of people who always hang out. She's one of those. Her friend Yake vanishes and she's later attacked by Ely. Then there's Tommy. Tommy is an older kid who lives in Oscar's apartment complex. His mom is dating to and becomes engaged to a police officer, Stefan. And he's a police officer over in Valingby, where the first murder occurs. So Tommy's able to give the other kids some info on the murders because. Stefan is telling the mom, and then she's kind of relaying that to Tommy. And I apologize about any of the pronunciations if we get them wrong. Obviously, neither of us speak Swedish. So we're just going based the on the movie, the audiobook, yeah. and like just how we can think of pronouncing it. So if we're wrong, I really do apologize. <laughs> then we have Locke. He's another one of the group of the regulars at the Chinese restaurant bar. And his best friend, Yoke, vanishes. And he also, Locke has an on-again, off-again relationship with Virginia. And then there's Thomas, Johnny, and Mickey. These are the three bullies who torment Oscar at school. And apparently they were all named for boys who used to bully the author. So getting back yep. at those, those kids. <laughs> Don't
0: torment a writer, I guess, Don't is the lesson there. A writer. We'll get our vengeance on pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to talk about the plot, starting with part one. In the modern, newly built suburb of Blackaberry, Oscar is a 12-year-old boy who regularly gets bullied at school. It's so bad that he can't focus, he often suffers from incontinence, and is clearly struggling. He doesn't want to tell his mom as he fears her pity and also what might happen if his mom were to call the other boy's parents. Oscar collects articles about true crime and grisly murders and fantasizes about murdering his bullies. One day, after a particularly bad round of bullying, he takes a knife out to the woods behind his apartment building and stabs a tree.
1: Yeah, he like attacks the tree. It's pretty great. I really like that this story takes place in a modern, newish suburb. Like there is a whole prologue about how the suburb was very recently built and everything is sparkling and clean and brand spanking new. And there's like no, there is some history to this place, but like it's so ancient that nobody who lives there knows it. It's just like this new little suburb. And I just think that's a cool location for a vampire book because so many vampire books take place in places that have like lots of history and like they have these like legends and folklore. And this is just like a brand new suburb brand new apartment buildings, brand new restaurants. And so it's just kind of an interesting contrast.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, a lot about like the planned communities that have popped up all over the USA in the last 30 years, but yeah. there is like this kind of soullessness to them.
1: Yeah. And yet I would 100% live there if I could afford a house. So let's build more <laughs> of those, I guess, for people who don't make $5 million a year.
0: <laughs> yeah, Thanks. <okay. laughs> So Tori, what do you think of Oscar's like collection of true crime and his fascination with true crime and murder and grisliness?
1: I mean, I think it's really good foreshadowing because it tells us that Oscar is kind of into the dark stuff, but I think it also gives us a little clue into his personality and that he's not going to be the kind of person who is necessarily horrified by
0: say a monster who moves in next door. I also think it's um, it's more common than adults give children credit for that kids can not only handle, but actually take like an active interest in darker topics. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and it's like a healthier outlet than bullying back necessarily or taking it out on like another smaller child, you know, like he's, he's being tormented. So he learns about torment, you know, that's it's almost like this educational fashion fascination with it yeah um yeah totally i'm gonna take up i've been bullied and beaten up i could either bully and beat up like a smaller kid younger than me or I can take up scrapbooking yeah Um, and just
1: like cut out all the newspaper articles about all the vicious murders and deaths and stuff yeah
0: yeah exactly so yeah i i just i just wanted to yeah get your thoughts on it because i know that like some parents would be super freaked out but now, like, true crime right now is, like, so hot. I don't know if, like, a lot of the adults who are, like, really into true crime right now were also fascinated with it when they were younger. You know, like, I was fascinated by some true by some true crime, mostly, like, occultish stuff, mm-hmm. supernatural stuff, like, like you were when I was a kid, because, you know, I was super obsessed with, like, Unsolved Mysteries. But yeah, me too. <laughs> in watching Unsolved Mysteries, I mean, more often than not, it's, like, a wanted, you know, or wanted segment or a missing person second you know like true crime segment yeah so that inevitably gets in your head so I don't I don't know like I feel like Oscar's interest in true crime and grisly murders and stuff isn't necessarily like this bad thing that like I feel like should be something to shame. Not that like anybody in the book is because nobody knows. Nobody knows. Like,
1: yeah. His mom doesn't he know. He keeps his it mom hidden. doesn't know. He like steals the paper and like cuts them up after she reads them. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But it's like I'm way. just I I mean, I think someone who's worked with kids for like like I have for like the last twenty five years, you know, I I I think I find children's interests very fascinating. So Yeah.
1: So meanwhile, a man named Hawkins rides the subway up to a suburb that several stops away to a suburb called Valenby, And he waits in the woods and he has this canister of anesthetic gas and he's basically looking for a victim. And there's even like a little kid that he kind of like passes by and is like, oh, I'm not going to kill that kid. But if no one else comes along, I might have to
0: kill that kid. So like, I don't know. The logic of a madman.
1: Yeah. He also talks about how, like, he doesn't want to kill, but he has to. And finally, this lone young man, who turns out to be a teenager on his way to sport practice, crosses Hawkins' path. So Hawkins, like, asks him for the time, and then he gasses him. And while he's gassed and, like, affected by this stuff, he hangs him upside down from this tree, and he bleeds him out. So pretty horrific murder there he's and it's complicated
0: too he's gotta like hoist the kid up into a tree yeah he's He's, gonna rig a pulley system i'm just uh, like that is a lot of effort yeah (laughs) could you not just like prop him up against the tree like in a sitting position and kind of tilt him over the bucket yeah i mean that's what i would do but i'm just i guess i'm a lazy murderer (laughs) yeah i guess me too
1: (laughs) So the next morning, Oscar's mom warns him not to go into the woods due to the murder in Valingby. even though it's like several suburbs away, it's not that far. And Oscar kind of remembers stabbing the tree and attacking the tree, and so he's like, well, was the victim stabbed? Like, did I somehow make this murder happen? Like, very magical thinking, but then he's like also like, if I can do that, maybe I can make Johnny die. So <laughs>
0: I thought I, it was a great little like look into his head, basically. I love the magical thinking of children. Like it's something that again endlessly fascinates me because I I was a very magically thinking child. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that Lindquist just really captures it wonderfully.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty great. And also like you feel bad for this kid. Like he's getting his ass kicked and then like. Beats up a tree and is like, maybe I can make people die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's that desperate. It's very um, Kevin from Home Alone. Like, I made my family disappear. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. And then we meet Tommy, who's an older boy who's friendly to Oscar and lives in the same building. And as I said in the intro, his mother is dating Stefan, the Valenby police officer. So all of Tommy's friends come to him for details about the murder because they want to know what happened. And
0: obviously, Tommy's got the hookup on the info. So they're Mm -hmm. all curious. So it's out in the courtyard of his building at night when Oscar encounters a young girl. She wears only a thin sweater despite the cold. She's pale with black eyes and gracefully jumps down from the tall jungle gym. They talk briefly about the murder and he learns she recently moved in next door to him. She tells him they can't be friends. <laughs> Which is okay. great. I love that Ely <laughs> is on the defense immediately, like, we can't be friends, just so you know. <laughs> I know. It's great. Just say so you no. Know. He's like, I don't well, who said I wanted to be friends with you, but why not? <laughs> <laughs> very, very it's it's, it's very beautifully huge. captured. Yeah. The next day, Oscar notes the windows of the girls' apartments have always have the blinds drawn, and it doesn't even seem like anyone lives there. He sees Hakan, who he assumes is the girl's father, into the apartment and thinks he looks sickly and is perhaps a drug addict, which might explain the girl's strange behavior. Yeah, it's not a bad guess, to be honest. No, not, not at all. So then we switch perspectives, and Hakan and Ilay are arguing. Hagen does doesn't want to kill again, and he says he's not good at it. Maybe Ile has had others who have helped her and have been better at it. Ile says she's not strong enough to do it. Haken asks if Ile loves him and then says, you only love me to the extent I help you stay alive. To which Ile replies, yes, isn't that what love is? He says that maybe he'll do it again. Ile says she can only last a few more days without it. Elsewhere, there's a group of regulars hanging out at the Chinese restaurants bar. They include... Yoke, Lakay, Larry, and Virginia. Oh, and Morgan. Yeah, there's actually a lot of them. I just listed a couple of them. Oh, okay. They discuss the recent murder and are the sort of group that you would expect to find as regulars at a local bar.
1: Yeah. no. having worked in a lot of restaurants with bars and also just bars, like, they, he captures them greatly. Like, the group of people you would expect to find there, it is 100% spot on.
0: I love these sweet, harmless alcoholics. Like, there is an enduring vulnerable compunction about all of them that I just really adore <laughs> uh, them. They are all so real. Like I feel like I've walked past these people around my town. Yeah. Throughout the last 20 years. I mean, I feel like I've served these people drinks.
1: Like they are very much the kinds of people you expect to find there, but they're all very well fleshed out and you get to know a lot about all of them mm-hmm. and what they're doing and why they're, here in this suburb and what they hope to do. And yeah, it's pretty great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the author makes no bones about it. They are alcoholics, right? But they're treated with dignity, I feel, and respect and whole people. They're not just like reduced to that one aspect of their life. Right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And having... Which I appreciate. And it's very real. And one thing I really like about Linquist writing is that he doesn't really pull punches about what it means to be a person and just like Mm -hmm. all the little facets of like how different people are and also just that being alive is kind of gross and he doesn't pull punches about that either so it's it's pretty great
0: yeah and they've had like their wins and their losses and they're still you know like at the end of the day they're all still friends and they're all you know this group of very tightly knitted friends yeah absolutely so the bar regulars notice a new guy drinking alone Lackey goes up to invite him to their group, but the man declines and offers a seat to Lackey instead. They enjoy a whiskey together before Lackey tries to engage the man in small talk before he excuses himself and leaves the Chinese restaurant.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Meanwhile, that same night, Oscar takes his Rubik's Cube out to the courtyard where he once again runs into the girl. She's fascinated by the cube as she's never seen one. Oscar also notes she stinks as if she never bathes. Oscar lends her the puzzle. Back home, Hakan is drunk. Elay does not like that. They argue a bit about the puzzle and if Elay loves him or not, and she tells him that he has to kill again. He doesn't want to. No, he does not. I'm just like, buddy, you... This is what you signed up for, dude. This is what you signed up for. I I can't imagine Elay like, duped you.
1: <laughs> no, I'm sure he knows everything, but it's also just very, like, he's not very good at it either, mm-hmm. so I kind of get why he's like... I don't want to do it. Why do I, don't no, wanna, no, do I suck at this? I'm, I'm the suck. worst murderer ever because he kind of is. Anyway, kind of it. <laughs> so the next night, Ely takes a shower, which Hawkin notices, and he's like, "Huh, what's going on here? Who, who are you getting gussied up for?" Yeah, I'm very much. And he refuses to kill again, so Ely says she'll have to do it herself. So she goes out to the courtyard of the complex where she meets up with Oscar and returns the Rubik's Cube, which she has completed. So like it's now solid colors on all sides. And at first, Oscar thinks she must have cheated to get it so fast. And then he asked her how old she is. And she says she's 12. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm 12 and like X months and days. And I'm going to be 13 soon because <laughs> kids always know that stuff. And he asks her when her birthday is. And she doesn't know. She says that her mom is dead and she doesn't celebrate it. Because he's like, well, your parents must know. And she's like, no, they're gone. And then she tells him that her name is Ely. And they're physically close to each other during this conversation. And Ely is starving because like, she hasn't eaten in a couple days. So that happens. So she kind of leans toward Oscar. And in an impulsive moment, he strokes her cheek. And her fangs kind of come out a little. He doesn't see that, though. And she abruptly leaves, but he notices that she doesn't go back inside the building. And she's still wearing that really thin sweater, too, instead of like a jacket. So,
0: And it's winter and it's snowing, so it's a little suspicious.
1: Yeah, it's like the, it
0: starts in the, towards the end of October.
1: Yeah. So Yake is walking home from a movie and he's thinking about taking a vacation to the Canary Islands, because this movie that he saw takes place there. So now he's like picturing going there and maybe he could go with Locke or someone, because that's kind of the best person of the group that would be fun to take on a trip. But then he's like, eh, I don't know. Um, And then he's like debating going to the Chinese restaurant to have a drink. But ultimately, he decides to just go home and start planning his trip because he's going to take this great vacation and it's going to be awesome. And he just wants to go home and think about that. Unfortunately, to get home, he has to walk under this dark underpass. So he's walking under there and he hears someone calling for help. And it sounds like a small child. And he sees this helpless child. At first even considers just keeping going because he's like, "Mm, I don't want to get involved in this. But he does pick up the child and is like, okay, here's the deal. The Chinese restaurant's close. I'll take you somewhere and we'll call for help because you know this is before cell phones. So he doesn't know what else to do. And the child thanks him. And he's like, oh man, I'm such a jerk that I thought about leaving this kid out here by, by herself. Like what an asshole I am. And as he's thinking that, He feels something like a bee sting in his neck and he's very confused, but then there's like more pressure on his neck and he realized the child is biting him and then sucking on the wound and he's very freaked out. And so he tries to fight the kid off, but she's like on there with like a death grip, like nails in his shoulders and everything. So he's not able to fight the child off.
0: Later that night, Oscar is lying in bed and hears Ile and her father arguing. He can't make out what they're saying, only that it's an argument. The door slams and Hoken storms out. Hoken goes to the underpass and moves the body of Yoke. He weighs it down and drops it in the river. Poor Yoke. I didn't want Eli to starve, but Yoke was sweet. I know.
1: Well, and you feel bad because he's like planning this vacation and he's tired of <laughs> drinking at the restaurant all the time. And he's like, I got to stop drinking at the restaurant all the time. I got to go somewhere, see some palm trees. Are there palm trees in the Canary Islands? I don't know, but I got to get out of here. And then he gets murdered and you're like, no.
0: no. Especially like, I like, I think I really felt his death over like all the deaths that will happen just because I'm like, that's me. Like I I have such, you know, itchy feet. Like I, I love traveling so much. and I'm like, oh my God, I better not go out like that. <laughs> <laughs> Where I'm just like, I'm going to go to this new place and this new place is going to be awesome. And I'm dreaming about it and I'm totally planning it in my head and I'm on my way to go plan it in real life. And all of a sudden I get attacked by a vampire or something. <laughs> yeah. But, and she doesn't even have the decency to turn me into a vampire.
1: Nope. No, Ely is not very pro making other vampires. She's not totally against it. It's just that she's not giving it out willy-nilly and doesn't want to infect anybody.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think it's more of a, you know, sacred attitude of like, my blood is, you know, sacred. Oh, it, yeah, no. It's way more, I do not want to infect anyone the way that I was infected. Yeah. And yeah. put this misery of an existence onto somebody else. And so she very consciously snaps people's necks to make sure that they will not reanimate
1: right because in this world her blood will infect them or like her fangs will infect them i'm not entirely sure i guess it is her blood not entirely sure how that
0: works actually but yeah it's just the act of it's just like the act of draining them
1: yeah will infect them so Mm -hmm. if the person is not then killed very well yeah yeah. And Hawkins not, I mean, the river is not a bad place to hide a body, but also ooh, things you put in the river tend to come back up. So.
0: Yeah, I know. I was sort of like, it always kind of baffled me. I was always like, just fucking leave him there. Like, <laughs> like you may as well. So it's, well, a, it's get, a weird ass murder. <laughs> so. Yeah. But I mean, I get that they don't
1: want to arouse suspicion and it is very close to home. This isn't like uh, two yeah, this is very close stops home. away, but like I don't know. Like, I know Ely tells him to bury the body, but the ground is like ice and snow. So I don't know if that's realistic either. I don't know what a good
0: solution is, honestly. Yeah. No, he did He did the best he could under the he circumstances. Did. Yeah. So then we start part two. Oscar is bullied again, and this time one of the boys hits him so hard it leaves a nasty mark on his cheek. Oscar lies to his mom about how he got the wound, and she believes it. Ely, however, knows someone hit him. She looks at him intensely, her eyes glowing, and it's as if he's seen someone older and wiser inside her. She tells him to hit the bully's back hard. He also gives her a cheat sheet of Morse code so they can communicate by tapping on the walls between their apartments, which is adorable. It's adorable and it's very clever. It's very clever. so clever. Okay, we live right next
1: to each other. We can use this. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Hawkin agrees to kill for Eli again, but he wants one night where they sleep next to each other and he can touch her.
1: Ugh. I know, Ugh. I know.
0: Like I feel bad for Hawkin.
1: He's a little more sympathetic than, say, sour Billy Tipton in yeah. Fever Dream. Like I do actually feel sympathy for Hawkin, but he is at the end of the day kind of a gross pedophile.
0: Eli agrees to Hawkins' conditions, but only to that and no more.
1: Yeah, because he does start to kind of go, well, maybe we could also. (laughs) Eli shuts that down. No, no, Uh
0: -uh. I'll let you do this. Oh, we can sleep next to each other. That's it. Uh -uh." Or like lay down next to each other because Eli, I don't think can. Well,
1: yeah, that's what I mean. Is sleep like in the same bed, just like beside each other.
0: Hawkins takes his supplies and heads out to find another victim. He struggles to find someone and it ends up at a community pool. He sets up in a changing booth and finally picks a victim whom he gasses. But then people enter the locker room area. The gas is noisy, so he removes it and wills the men to leave. Like mentally, like, please leave now. Please go away. It's like when you
1: really want people just out of your way and you're like, please go the fuck away. And they won't go the fuck away because Mm -hmm. you need them to go.
0: But they keep talking, and unfortunately, the victim comes around and starts screaming. Thinking of Ile, Hawken uses his contingency plan, and he calls Ile, Ile, and dumps a jar of strong acid over his face.
1: Yeah, because the thing is, like, people have seen Hawken. They know where he lives. They might connect him to Ile, and so, like, he has this acid in case he gets caught and unfortunately gets caught this was a stupid plan though like i have some sympathy for him because i just feel bad for the guy but like he's not good at this at all like he really like i don't know why you think a changing room in a community pool would be a good place to commit a brutal murder like it just isn't smart if you're going to find your victim there you got to lure them out somewhere else like it's just not good And I kind of wonder how many people he's killed for Ely, because apparently
0: he has killed some before they moved here, I'm guessing? Yes, yes. So, um, and know we both feel like, wouldn't he have gotten better at this?
1: You would think so, because I, I don't know has- how long
0: they've been together, but I feel like it has to have been
1: a little longer. I mean, obviously, it
0: wasn't a new thing. So he's definitely killed for Ely before, in two prior era- areas that they lived in, one okay. which was Val B. Um, and which i think is where she found him okay and while it's unclear how long it has been i'd speculate no more than 6 months okay um, or and like and like, that's like at the absolute tops so but they he's killed in i forgot the town name now but it's like norin something like Nornkind or um and then before that Ballenby. um okay. but like at least in two suburbs that they've they've gone through and okay. i looked up uh one of them and it's it's quite a ways away from where they they currently are in Blackaberry. so
1: yeah i mean obviously they're moving around it just it feels like i don't know cuz i kind of it's hard to tell i got the impression that they had been sort of a team working together for a little bit longer than they have. But even then I feel like he would be just a little better at it. Cause he just really picks
0: these weird places. And you're like, dude, like, I wonder if, because he was in such a state of deterioration when she found him, because he had been fired from his job. He, his house was burnt down um, by, yeah, anxiety. by people who were angry that he was a pedophile, which fair, which fair. fair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fair. um and so she found him at a park one night and he'd been like drinking himself to death and i don't even mean just like with alcohol he was drinking like like chemicals so he he was already like pretty suicidal or self-destructive yeah Yeah, self-destructive i think is probably more yeah self-destructive and she came up to him and like Batted the chemicals like out of his hand and stuff, and was like, No, you're gonna now be with me and you're gonna help me, and I'm gonna help you. And he's like, Okay, yeah, (laughs) so um, but I wonder if like she had to like sit him down, you know, like get him kind of nourished, yeah. Well, I mean, I know she got him to stop drinking and also to like obviously probably needed to eat some stuff and just get back to like get him like some clothes and stuff. Cause he probably only had the clothes on the back of his, you know, on, on mm-hmm. his back. Um, so yeah. And I feel like, you know, she had to like tell him at least a little bit, obviously of like what she is. Oh, and, for sure.
1: Know. That was the selling point. Like that was the sales pitch. Check it out. Mm-hmm. I'm a kid. Who's not really a kid. Like, although, I mean, yeah. I don't know that Ely would describe herself that way, but you know what I mean? That's, that's the sales pitch yeah. for him to help her so you can be with me, Maybe not that way, cause you, but like and not that she would say,
0: but you know what I mean? Like she definitely right, does and, not but feel it's that like way. the appeal like, for him is I'm never gonna grow old and die. And then um and then also, but I'm also not really this kind of child.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm not really, a, you know, I'm a kid who's 200 and some years old, so yeah. you can hang out with me and it won't be, you won't be hurting anyone. And also except for the people you have to kill for me. So you will be hurting people just in a different way. Just in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Great sales pitch anyway, but like, yeah, he's not very good at killing. He clearly has not gotten the hang of it yet. Mm-mm. And this is, this is a disaster.
0: Like he just,
1: <laughs> it does not work. Yeah, I, and I then do-
0: he- I was going to say, I do kind of wish that Lindquist did kind of flesh that out a little bit more, like maybe in like those earlier months, Hawkin was like actually kind of good at it because he was like in that moment of like, yeah, like he's like living on the high of like this amazing opportunity and, and he's good at it. And then like the moral conundrum then sets in and he's like, oh, my God, I am killing people.
1: Yeah, maybe that would have been nice to see a little fleshed out or just to like learn a little more about who he had killed and when, like maybe Mm -hmm. a couple lines about like, well, when he did it in whatever town, like Mm -hmm. it is easier to find victims in dark, quiet places. And maybe because this place is such a sparkling new suburb it's like harder to find and it's well lit everywhere and it's just harder (laughs) to find people that are alone that he can easily kill because it is just such a weird like when he goes into the pool and like starts setting up in the changing room you're like this isn't gonna end well buddy (laughs)
0: You're, you're like um so you just put yourself in a corner
1: I'm not a murderer, but even I can figure out that that's not going to work out well for you. And then the whole acid thing is so gross. I mean, I get it. I 100% get it. And good that he's willing to go that far, I guess. I mean, commit to it, sure. But like, oof, yeah, it would not. Just like dumps the acid all over his face. And he expects Mm -hmm. it to kill him too. So he wants to be disfigured and dead, basically is his goal with that.
0: Yeah. Because yeah, when he wakes up in the hospital, he's like, God damn it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So anyway, at the same time, Hawking is completely failing to kill and actually only ending up hurting himself. Ely and Oscar are having a good time. They're like kind of walking around and they go over to this newspaper stand and start like joking around, like kind of teasing the guy. The guy is not. Not amused, and it's a it's very childish jokes. Like, I can't even remember exactly something about a banana. He's like, He looks
0: like a monkey, we should get him oh, a banana. And they kept yeah. going, Do you have any bananas? And he's like, I don't have a banana. Why do you keep asking for a banana? And they're just like <laughs>
1: monkey. It's very cute, but like, so they're just having a good old time. And then Ely asked Oscar if he would still like her if she weren't a girl. And he's like, Yeah, I guess so. Why? But at that point, they're like walking back to their building. They're down at the front door and Oscar's mother (laughs) opens the window and looks down. And so she starts calling for Oscar and, you know, obviously interrupts this moment, which he's really frustrated by. And when he turns around, Ely's gone because obviously Ely doesn't want to be seen by the mother. So, so he's not very happy about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then over at the Chinese restaurant, the group has noticed that Yake has not been around lately. And one of them who kind of hangs out with them sometimes his name's Gosta he says that he saw a child attack Yake and he's dead and then we go over to Tommy's house where Stefan is over for dinner and Tommy learns that his mom intends to marry him he's not exactly thrilled about this proposition but then Stefan has to leave because he gets a call that they've caught the killer he was at the public pool (laughs) so So stupid anyway (laughs) so Stefan arrives at the scene And Hawkins' face has been totally destroyed and deformed by the acid. He has, like, one eye left, but, like, the rest of his face is mostly burned away. It's just, like, gooey flesh over his skull, basically. And they hear that witnesses heard him calling Ely, but then they also know Ely means God. So they think he was calling to God and then poured the acid over his face.
0: Yeah, I, I believe that this is like Stefan's theory because Stefan is very religious and he's very like involved in his church. So he knows that like the Latin root for Eli is like Elias and Eli is like like a call to God. Yeah. The next night after Hawken has failed to come home, Eli goes in search of food for herself and she gets invited into a woman's home. She tries to feed on her, but the woman has cancer, which makes the blood taste bad. Besides which there's morphine in it, which gets Ely high. Yeah. She hears a familiar voice calling her to come home. To cover her tracks, Ely burns the house down and the cops soon arrive. The woman comes running out of the house, completely engulfed in flames. Yeah. So she's like,
1: but not screaming or anything, just kind of like acting really calm, which is weird so she's high on morphine so yeah it's true, mm. true. I, it's really funny there's like, it's a very long scene where elie is tripping balls and it's pretty hilarious but then she like turns on the tv and that's when she starts hearing this voice that's like calling her to come home and it's obviously not someone she wants to talk to so she yeah. starts getting really freaked out but it is pretty funny when she's just like high as hell <laughs> yeah it really is yeah she's tripping balls so apparently drugs do affect vampires in this yes. world. Anything in the blood, drugs or alcohol will affect the poor
0: vampire who drinks it. So, you know. It's like my favorite quote from What We Do in the Shadows. We drink a bunch of uh, blood from kids who are on drugs and now I'm a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> where he's wearing the traffic cone on his head yes.
1: yeah it's so good what was in the shadows is so funny oh my god i wish that ele was like i know i'm a wizard <laughs> i mean there's a point where she's at the house and she's just like oh yeah you're just Poor like Eli. what is going on with you and then you're like
0: oh it's the drugs it's you're the super drugs. high right now girl ele arrives at oscar's window naked and smelling of gasoline she asks to stay the night and sleeps next to him. They talk and play silly games. Oscar asks Ely to go steady, but Ely explains that she's not a girl. She's not a boy. She's not anything. Oscar seems fine with it and asks her again to go steady, which Ely agrees to. She's gone when he wakes up, but left a note.
1: So then we're at part three of the book, which there are five parts. And we learned that after five nights of going steady with Ely, Oscar starts talking to his teacher. He's at school and he asks what love is. And then he's like, how does it work if it's two guys? And the teacher's kind of taken aback, but she is very progressive. And she says, well, it's it's about the same. You know, it's just two men. And Oscar finally like fights back against his bullies and he ends up hitting Johnny with a stick. And he hits him in the side of the head and it ends up doing some serious damage to Johnny's ear.
0: <laughs>
1: so, which I mean, the kids are, I mean, the bullying is very aggressive. I mean, I'm sure it really happens that way, but whew, it's terrifying. So I do not feel that bad for Johnny.
0: So this is a outdoor kind of PE excursion between, I think, I think it's the whole school, uh, the elementary school so simultaneously the the smaller kids younger kids who are being supervised by um uh, mr Uh, avila they find yoke's body in the river so the chinese restaurant group gathers at one of their apartments to mourn him because now that his body's been
1: found because for a while they were very like maybe he just took off yeah maybe he's just on a trip and then like well last time he went on a trip he told us you know and so it's just like because there's no body and gosta says he saw him get killed but who knows like there's no proof of that so
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah but now they have a body they know he is in fact dead so and then oscar decides he wants to enter into a pact with Ely um i think he's the kid he wants to get close to this other kid he doesn't know how so a pact sounds like a good idea so he asks ely if ely will enter into a pact with him and she agrees she doesn't really know what it means so she's like sure okay i'll enter into a pact with you so oscar cuts open his hand because it's going to be a blood pact and ely reels back because smell of blood vampire right and suddenly he sees her true face and so He's freaked out, and she basically is like, run if you want to live. And so he runs out of there.
0: So Ely, hungry and riled up from the blood, is in a tree waiting for a victim when Virginia, one of the regulars, leaves the restaurant to head home. Ely jumps and lands on her back and bites her. Laque happens to see this, and Ely runs off. Virginia is soon taken to a hospital.
1: Yeah. Because Locke was, like, chasing after her and then saw.
0: I believe Ely that they attacked. had gotten into an argument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, not good. So, <laughs> I assume Ely is
1: not generally careless when she does actually, like, kill. But, like, obviously she was fueled by bloodlusts and stuff. So, she's probably not thinking completely
0: straight either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the book, she's more um, you don't see this in the movie, but in the book, her uh, feet and hands elongate into more animalistic sort of like claws. So she's able to scale and climb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's already like like whatever kind of beasty primalness that lives in her that makes her a vampire is more in charge than she is yeah absolutely so oscar goes to stay with his dad for the weekend on the bus he thinks about what he knows of ely and figures out that she must be a vampire
1: i mean he's a genre savvy kid he knows he's putting the pieces together yeah <laughs> came in his second story window had to be invited in i don't think we mentioned that she had to be invited in. she had to be invited in and like gets freaked out by blood and turns into kind of a scary monster at the side of blood yeah There are pieces to connect and he likes puzzles, so we know that he's good at connecting pieces. So meanwhile, at the hospital, nurses keep Hawking from pulling out his tubes because he's trying to like he doesn't want to be on life support, right? He doesn't want to be alive. So he keeps trying to pull out his tubes and so nurses have to like stop him. And then the police come and they try and get his name. And of course he won't give them a name and he can't speak because his throat has been damaged by the acid. Like his lips have been burned away and his tongue. And mm-hmm. um, But they tell him they're going to do all these corrective surgeries to like fix his face. So he'll be able to talk and then he'll have to talk to them. And also they're going to figure out his identity because he had on a wristwatch, and it's a wristwatch that they can trace. And so they're basically like, you can just sit there and not give us anything. We're still going to figure out who you are. It's just a matter of time. And then he learns that when they found Yake's body, they found Ely's sweater because he Ely had dropped the sweater when she killed him. And he just stuffed the sweater in the corpse's like coat pocket when he sank it in the river. So now he knows they have the sweater and he fears that the murder may be traced back to her.
0: Which is kind of interesting because I would assume that the cops would just assume like, oh my God, like this guy also killed a kid. We're also looking for a kid's body. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe. I mean, if nothing else, is evidence and it yeah. might link to her and he doesn't want any evidence linking to her. Yeah. But it, again, not very smart. Hawkins even thinks to himself like, oh, I should have taken the sweater home. Like, why did I leave it with the body? And I'm like, yeah, why? Why didn't yeah, you take why? it home? Like, <laughs> What were you thinking? Like, you know that this is evidence. You can wash it. It might be dirty and blood covered, but you can, you can get that out. Just anyway.
0: (laughs) This is how you know that Ilay is still like mentally a 12 year old, because if she were cognitively an adult, she would not pick this person (laughs)
1: well and also like she wouldn't just leave her sweater like kids just apparently peel clothes off and leave them
0: apparently yeah, that's children
1: do they just lose jackets and stuff all the time which mm. she did. but yeah so either way and also, also hawkins not good at this like this is another example of how he's really not good at it so He's the
0: um, the most incompetent Renfrey or Renfield ever <laughs> I mean
1: he really is I'm sorry dude I'm not that sorry because you are a gross pedophile but like I do he was definitely in over his head and not yeah. good at this and Ely did not and I get why Ely would pick him right because you need somebody you can trust and that's not going to be easy to find but yeah yeah so Virginia gets out of the hospital and is back home from her attack and she's like sleeping And she notices that she can't tolerate sunlight. Like it just kind of like turns her skin red and blistery. And then like it feels like needles pricking into her skin. So she leaves all the blinds closed and she's hungry, but she goes to the fridge and she even makes herself like a cheese sandwich and a glass of milk, which I guess is what she's, I love cheese sandwiches. So no complaints, but she just like stares at it. And just, it seems just vile to her. She can't even stomach the idea of eating it. So she throws it away And then she's like, okay, well, I should go into work. And she works at this store. So she goes in and she manages to like cover up well enough to get through. Cause even though it's daytime, she goes into the store, but like, she notices that like, she can't work the front register because the sun from the windows are just like, it's too much. Like even with the coated glass and the glass covered with stuff, she could just tell like, she wouldn't be able to sit there. But since she wasn't really expected to come in today because she was at the hospital last night, the boss tells her if she really wants to stay, she can go help in the meat department. So she goes back to the meat department and she's just woozy and not able to focus. And like she's like bagging up shrimp and like trying to weigh them out. And like I forget exactly what happens, but somehow she just like starts she cuts herself on one of like the shrimp tails and starts drinking the blood from her finger, like the wound. And that soothes her. And like an employee just finds her on the floor, like with cuts all over her, like just like as a hot mess. And so that going to work did not work out well for her. (laughs) I have to say, I really like Virginia's story, but I really love the stories when someone is like turning into a vampire and they don't actually know what's happening. I always think that's really fun. And I really like her whole thing where she's like, trying to find something to eat but nothing sounds good and then like goes into work and is like slowly figuring out like huh things don't feel right like there's no way i could like work the register because the sun would be too hot even though like the windows aren't even uncovered like it just the the slow realization the build of like oh what's happening like it's just
0: really good and i think it's done really well with virginia so Ely finds haken at the hospital she goes to his window on the 10th floor and asks what she should do. Hawken gestures at his throat. She warns him that she will have to kill him after, but he knows. She drinks from him, but the guard catches her in the act and she flees. Hawkin throws himself out the window. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Oscar's dad starts getting drunk with his friend and not wanting to be around his father while while he's drinking. Oscar... Hitches a ride to the subway and then gets back to his building in Blackyberry. But instead of going to his apartment, he goes to Ely's. They kiss and he sees a vision from her past. A man wheeling Haken's body into the morgue notices it's bleeding or leaking plasma. That can happen, but it's odd. Suddenly the body starts moving. He realizes Haken is alive and tries to wheel him into the ER, but Haken attacks him and bites his neck.
1: Yeah, this poor dude. I felt bad for this dude because at first, like, Hawkins is a body who was scraped off the pavement. He's taking him to the morgue, and the body starts to like leak this weird plasma, which happens occasionally. It's not common, but it does. So he's seen it before, so he's not totally freaked out. So he tries to like wrap it up in like bandages and stuff. And then he like shoves the body in like a, I can't remember if he shoves it in a drawer or not, but he like, you know, he's like, okay, it's good. I, I covered the wound. I'm leaving for the day. I can't wait to get home. I am done with my shift. And I have a great story to tell about how I'm the guy who wheeled the murderer who threw himself out the window into the morgue. So my day's good. And he gets to his car and he knows that thing that I do all the time. But like, instead of being like, wait, did I turn off the stove? He's like, you know what? That guy's dead. If he's leaking, he's not gonna stop leaking. And whoever comes in in the morning, there's gonna be a huge mess. Ah, oh, crap. I, I gotta fix this. God, damn it. So he like gets out of his car and goes back into the morgue. and that is when, like, the body starts moving and he's like, oh shit, this guy's not dead. He's close to death. I mean, he burned his face off with acid and just fell 10 stories, but somehow, He's still alive. So he tries to wheel him to the ER to get help. And it's nighttime and they haven't fixed the morgue door. So he can't get the morgue door open very easily. And he's trying to get it open and Hawkin like grabs him and kills him. And I'm just like, oh, RIP, dude, that's exactly how I would die. Like I would be <laughs> safe from the situation. And then I would think of some reason I needed to go back in and check on something and I would get myself killed. So I related to this dude a lot
0: i felt so bad for him and he was like thinking about like the love he has for his wife at one point and i don't know man r.i.p medical examiner yeah you you were good you were good man and did not deserve this he's a good man who's just trying to make sure
1: there's not a mess left for someone else and of course like he wants to be part of the story like he's excited to have this great story to tell which of course like It's human nature, sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, totally. But like, yeah, I just felt super bad for him, and also I related to that very hard because, one hundred percent, I'd be like, it's the middle of a zombie apocalypse, but I forgot to check that the stove was off, so I better go back in and make sure I'll burn down the building. OCD, super fun. But yeah, totally
0: do that. So yeah, it's okay. I mean, I love Yoke so much, and he's yeah, like (laughs) got like two small scenes.
1: It just tells you how well fleshed out like these people are that you're like, oh, no, I really connect to this person who's in it for three pages. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> so Eli and Oscar continue to hang out. They make out for a bit and then they talk. Eli accidentally breaks his Walkman, uh, breaks Oscar's Walkman headphones and tries to give him money. Oscar asks how she gets blood and she shows him her fangs. He then asks her real name and she says, Elias. But that's a boy's name, he says. Yes, she agrees. So in flashbacks, in visions, we learn that Elias was part of a, I would say, a working community. And there was a man, Landed Gentry, who ordered all of the parents to bring Their children between certain ages to come to his castle. And he's only described as like this kind of creepy man in a wig. Yeah. (laughs) And so, since this is 200 years, 200 plus, maybe 20 years ago, it's like the seven anywhere between like the 1760s through the 1780s. So, I get it. Wigs. Okay. Mm -hmm. He lays out this huge feast for the kids. And the parents have to stand back, like, against the wall, just sort of nervously. And he rolls some die. And initially, it lands on six. Mm -hmm. And which meant, like, the sixth child from the end. Elias is the seventh child. And definitely the most, I guess you could say, let's just say, like, yeah, he's the cutest kid there. And the magician, the man, is not happy with the fact that it landed on six and not seven. So he just kind of waves his hand and then the die magically go to seven. Elias's mom starts streaking and Elias is pulled away. They are ripped away. That's the last time he ever sees her. And Elias is immediately brought to another room where he is stripped and castrated. And I believe fed upon. Mm-hmm. And that is how he is made into a vampire. Other than that, we don't know anything else um, other than he slept for a very long time. I believe in the earth before waking up and deciding to like live.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's like, and it's described in more detail in part four. So we're mm-hmm. not quite there yet, but like, it said that like he was fed upon uh, for a while like it seems like it was a long process so it wasn't just like one night the guy drank his blood it's like he kept him for a pretty long time and kept drinking from him and probably not in great conditions obviously this was a traumatic experience and then yeah like you said we learned that ely has been sleeping on and off um for huge chunks of time because like when she talks to oscar she's like well i've been asleep for a lot of it like later she when she mentions how old she is like so yeah
0: yeah 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 poor poor Elias has had a very like traumatic life <laughs>
1: yeah I mean that's pretty fucked up right and of yeah. course it's some rich dude who's like I can control the local people I can do whatever the fuck I want because I'm some rich dude and mm-hmm. you guys are poor and can't I'm do a, anything I'm a rich
0: vampire
1: who apparently likes you know. to torture and drink from children so great, yeah great guy mm-hmm. Real stand-up dude.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And we never learn, like, what happens to him or where he is in the world. We do learn that, yes, there are others. Eli has said that, like, yeah, she's met a few, but they're few and far between. And when she met a woman, the woman, you know, says that, like, they don't usually last very long. Like, I believe, like, she says they, they usually get too depressed and end up committing suicide. And I don't believe Elay has ever, Elay has never met a, another child uh, vampire.
1: No. Yeah. Just, she mentions the woman. I don't remember when that happens. It might, I think it's later in the book, but like, yeah, she mentions the woman and that's pretty much it. And yeah. And the
0: woman she, she didn't stay with because I think the woman was suicidal and was, I think that that was kind of what my takeaway was. Cause she's like, come and you know, I, you know, it was like, I have the most wonderful plan. And Elay's like, I don't want to be part of this yeah
1: no (laughs) definitely
0: not no thank you lady
1: yeah sorry you're bummed
0: out but
1: (laughs) yeah because yeah
0: that woman was in the throes of depression so Mm -hmm. yeah for sure but now we're in part four yeah and some of this we learn in part three some we learn in part four but um we just felt the need to probably talk about all of it in one chunk
1: yeah we'll bring it up again but um Mm -hmm. that is kind of the origin story of and we do get the impression the man is still out there because when she's tripping balls in that woman's house and watching tv she hears that voice of the man and so i assume that's supposed to be that guy Mm -hmm. who's calling to her and she obviously does not want to go so yeah yeah once upon a time a trio of bards the narrator's three We're called upon to unite the realms with an episode-by-episode deep-dive
0: commentary on the fairy-tale-laden soap opera, Once Upon a Time. Tune in for weekly retrospect sprinkled with judgmental fondness and hysterical disappointment as the narrators three laugh, throw shade, and have the occasional emotional breakdown. If you find tales of costuming, character takedowns, and plot devices that come with a price utterly charming... The narrators three invite you to
1: join them for once upon a rewatch, available on all major platforms where podcasts can be
0: found. Part 4. Please search for Hawkin, who is spotted by a few witnesses, but they can't find him. Virginia, who has cocooned herself in a blanket, has also figured out what she is. She wants blood and knows drinking blood from someone else will make her feel better. Locke tries to check on her, but there's no answer. Probably luckily for him.
1: Yeah, really. I mean, if she had opened the door, it probably wouldn't have ended well for him. So Right. Yeah.
0: The sun burns worse and faster now, and she is very thirsty.
1: Mm-hmm. Little nod back to vampire breath there. Mm-hmm. She's, th- I know. Th- I was very thirsty. tempted
0: to like, say it in that <laughs> voice, but I was like, no, it's so annoying. <laughs>
1: So Oscar, coming to terms with the fact that Ely is a vampire, goes to Ely's bedroom during the day and realizes that she's in the bathroom. So Oscar is still at her apartment. If you remember in part three, he came home from his dad's house, but did not want to go back to his apartment. So he went to Ely. So that's where he is. And he kind of knows what she is. So she's in the bathroom. And even though he was going to go check on her in the bedroom, he's like, I'm not going to go in the bathroom. And then he finds a note from Eli that's urging him not to go in the bathroom. So he made the right call. Good call, Mm -hmm. buddy. But the note is so cute. It's so cute. And you can tell they're kids because, like, the note is like, do you want to see me again? And he, like, writes yes on it. It's just really adorable. The whole thing is so cute. So after writing yes on the note, he goes back to his own apartment. But there he finds the newspaper and he sees reports about the search for the killer. And worse, he sees that the police have put in a photo of Ely's pink sweater that was found with one of the bodies. So now he realizes for sure, like, he knows what she is, but now he knows that she's really been involved in these killings and that the police have evidence that belongs to Ely. So, a little sticky.
0: Sticky like blood.
1: Yeah, like like delicious red blood. (laughs) Oh... I'm going to sound so weird in this podcast. People are like, what's wrong with you? I I just read a lot of vampire books. Okay, leave me alone. Meanwhile, Tommy goes to church with Stefan and his mom. And he's agreed to go to church, which really surprised his mom. Like she didn't expect him to say yes. But it turns out he was reading like the part of the Bible that Stefan said they were going to be talking about. And it's about like the youth of today or something. I can't even remember. But he decides he's going to pull a prank on the congregation. So that's why he's going. So he sets it up so that it makes the fountain smoke during the service and everyone has to run out of the church because the church fills with like this noxious smoke and Stefan and his mother are not amused and they both know it was him like his mom definitely it's like she confronts him but like Stefan knows too and he's not he's kind of lying to his pastor like oh yeah that's so weird I don't know how that happened but like he knows that Tommy's the one who did it so he's pissed. So Tommy basically goes to the basement of the building. There's this room that he hangs out with his like friends in like, they're not supposed to be in there. It's like this kind of basement lounge room that they, they put like a couch in, but then it's also next to this um, shelter. Like it's a safety shelter and it's got like, in case of emergency, it's got like all these safety supplies and stuff like that. And so he's basically trying to hide out before Stefan arrives because like he knows that Stefan's going to be pissed and he just doesn't want to deal with his mom's boyfriend being a jerk. When Stefan does get home, he threatens to hit Tommy's mom. And turns out he's kind of an asshole, like A cab baby cakes. No one's mm-hmm. surprised here. And then he basically forces the mom to tell her where Tommy is because she knows. And she's like, oh, he's at a friend's house. And he's like, well, which friend? And she's like, oh, no, Roger. And then he's like, what Roger? You know, he's just such a jerk. Meanwhile, Virginia has figured out that she needs to drink someone's blood and she needs to find someone who will let her in because she's figured out that she has to be invited in, but it can't be someone she loves. Like she can't drink Locke's blood because she loves him. She doesn't want to kill him. So she goes to Gosta's apartment, but when she arrives, Lake is actually there. He was kind of there talking about how he was worried about her. And so they're hanging out. And we also have previously learned that Gosta has like 25 cats, which is Ugh. it's too many cats in an apartment. Like two cats sometimes feels like too much in an apartment. I have two. And that feels like a lot. 25 is a lot. And he doesn't get them fixed or anything. I don't, I don't know. I'm not super happy with how this guy deals with his cats. But he does genuinely love them. Ugh. And unfortunately, the cats do not like vampires. So... The cats start hissing. So Virginia's there. She's taken aback that Lackey is there because she was going to kill Gosta. And now there's someone else in the apartment. So that doesn't work. And then the cats like jump on her and attack her. So Lackey tries to like get the cats off her. And then she ends up falling down the stairs and running away from the building. And several of the cats die. It's kind of horrible. The first time I read this book, I listened to the audiobook, but I think it honestly was before I had a cat. So I don't think I was as traumatized as this time mm. where I was like, oh, babies. And Ghost is really unhappy, but Lockett, manages to get her into an ambulance. So yeah, this scene was just, whew, it was rough.
0: Yeah. Um, believe it or not, for me, it's a much more palatable in the film because the cats uh-huh. were very clearly fake. Like they were like glued on stuffed animals. Like they yeah. were and it was a super quick scene as well it was very
1: much like in it was very
0: graphic in the book
1: it was like Tesla's dos bichos where they throw the stuffed cat at jillian anderson in the x-files which sorry i have an x-files podcast so we talked about that (laughs) she's allergic to cats so they like threw a stuffed cat at her and it just looks so bad but like yeah the movie is kind of like that
0: yeah whereas the book is very graphic like puppet cats on you and there's
1: graphic descriptions of cat death so if you read this book just be aware it's rough it's hard it was tough for me to get through that part
0: yeah same i was like i'm only reading this part for the podcast so but i do love virginia figuring out like okay i gotta kill
1: someone i don't really like this dude i don't like ghost he's a weirdo <laughs> he's, he always smells like cat pee which again too many cats in one space guys don't do that
0: yeah i it's mean, small space all those like like i feel bad for the cats obviously like the ones who passed but like i felt way worse that he was like keeping them and they were inbred and a lot of them had like deformities and such so um if anything this sort of attack on virginia sort of set them free like regardless if they died or just got out you know
1: i'm like it's very sad it's not it's not a great situation for anybody so yeah
0: eli goes to oscar's apartment while his mother is out she shows him what happens when she enters uninvited which makes her lose blood like it comes out throughout all her pores it's excellently shown in in the film
1: yeah and it's he's kind of teasing her too he's kind of being a little jerk about it he's kind of like yeah. what happens if you come in and so just come in she's yeah. like well i'll fucking show you here you yeah. go and Fuck she run and find out and oscar <laughs> just like starts bleeding from everywhere like all her pores it is yeah gross and he
0: he quickly like makes amends and is like no you're invited you're invited yeah once he starts, once he sees it he's like ah you're invited you're welcome ah yeah yeah so Eli showers and then shows him her lack of genitals, the, the castration scar. They kiss and he gets another vision of Eli being chosen by a roll of dice and the castration scene. Eli takes a dress from Oscar's mother's closet. She also learns that Hawkin is lurking in the woods. She tells Oscar that it's not Hawkin that's alive anymore, just the infection and warns him not to go out into the woods. Oscar puts his cut hand in the bag with Eli's blood soaked clothes and becomes convinced that he is going to become a vampire, which is adorable kid logic.
1: It is. Well, and it's sort of after the fact because he like puts his hand in there and then realizes that she told him about this infection and he just put his cut hand into the bloody clothes Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, fuck.
0: Eli then finds Tommy in the basement hiding out. She pays him to drink a liter of his blood and he eventually agrees. I love that scene. <laughs> I love that conversation between them. He's just like, what do you want to do? <laughs> and he's, he's fucked up on, God, what was he doing?
1: Uh, oh, he's, he's huffing it, glue. Yeah. That's okay. what he does.
0: He, so he's a glue huffer and, uh, and he lays just like, look, I'm not going to kill you and I will pay you like, I think it was like 500 kroner. Which I don't know in nineteen eighty one what that is. Five thousand. Like. Yeah, I don't know. Was it know five thousand? It, 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 it was five thousand. It was a lot of money though. And so he's kind of money. like, This is he was like, Holy weird. shit, I can I can go I can leave home.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he wants to leave because Stefan's an asshole and his mom yeah. is starting to figure that out, but Yeah. Yeah, and it's a lot of money. And he's like, this is fucking weird. I don't want to do that. But then she like flashes the cash and he's like, you know what? Never mind. Let's do it. Let's do this.
0: (laughs) Which by the way is sane. (laughs)
1: Yeah, same.
0: Yeah. 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 And he's off and glue. So he's already like kind of numb and having a good time. So in the hospital, Virginia fights and even punches a nurse in the face, which I've been there, girl. It's it's, you know, (laughs) hospitals are very traumatic. Oh God, yeah. Uh, Sorry to all nurses that I've ever reacted to negatively. She has to be strapped down. When Virginia wakes, she tells Locke that she's a vampire and that she had intended to kill Gosta. The child who attacked her was the one who infected her. She pleads with Locke to destroy her heart because that's where she senses the source of the infection. He tells her about his plan to buy side-by-side cottages away from the suburbs. Then he gets a spare cot and sleeps next to her, which is so fucking precious I love him so much
1: I know well and it's like we get this whole because we get there's a lot obviously cut out of here this is a summary it's it's a very good book you should read it but we get a whole bunch of him like he's gonna sell his dad's stamp collection and he's gonna buy a cottage no side-by-side cottages so they have their own space and I'm like you know what man of my heart right there like yeah yeah my own house And then we can have barbecues and stuff and be friends. Um, But, I mean, obviously they do sleep together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it's just a really sweet idea. And then, you know, she tells him that she's a vampire. And he realizes, like, I don't think he realizes it's true yet. But, like, things aren't going to go the way he wants. And that's sad. So, in the book, this is the first scene where Ely's POV switches to he pronouns for Ely. So, up until now, it's been she. Oscar kind of switched to he. A little earlier this is the first time that ely's point of view has called ely a he so i'm gonna just follow ely's lead here and we're gonna start calling him a he at this point because that's what he does if that makes sense so i hope Mm -hmm. that's not confusing so ely is packed and it's almost sunrise but when it gets dark ely will call a cab and go somewhere new but where he doesn't know and he's frustrated he has to leave. And we get the impression that he has had to move around quite a bit, obviously, because once people start getting suspicious, mm-hmm. he can't really hang around. And this is where we learn that after being infected, Ely only once met another infected person, a woman who was cynical and hollow as the man in the wig who turned him. Ely decides to go check on Tommy because he wants to make sure that Tommy is OK and also that Tommy did not get infected.
0: That's really sweet
1: it is kind of sweet yeah
0: he's like i gotta go check on my friend meanwhile
1: tommy has woken up and realized that ely must be a vampire and so i gotta say i love how genre savvy people in this book are because a lot of times people are so in denial but like people here are like oh shit he drank my blood must be a vampire so um tommy breaks a broomstick to kind of make a makeshift steak And then he goes to hide in the shelter room, which is the room with all like the canned goods and survival stuff that's in the basement area. So when Eli gets down there, he doesn't see Tommy. But Eli does pick up the makeshift steak. I guess there's two halves of it. And he holds it to his own heart and thinks about pushing it in. Because Eli has to leave, has to leave Oscar, has to start a new life somewhere else, and is kind of depressed about it. But then Hawkins appears. And obviously he's kind of a shell of his formal self. He's basically just a walking body at this point with a mouth. Mm-hmm. And he seems to need to be invited in, but then comes in and attacks Ely. And then Hawken, or actually the thing that was Hawken, tries to rape Ely, but Ely grabs the stake and thrusts it upward and he can't quite hit Hawken, but then Hawken falls forward and the stake goes through his eye. So now that he's blinded, Ely manages to get Hawkins inside the shelter room and lock him in. Doesn't know that Tommy's in there.
0: So no.
1: Yeah, no. Not, not trying to lock him in with Tommy. Has no idea, but he is. And he knows that he has to destroy Hawkins' body. So he, there's this wheel that turns the shelter room door. So he like sticks the broomstick through it to keep it from opening. So he can't get it open from the inside. So it's jammed from the outside because of the stake. And then Eli robs a nearby store for supplies.
0: Eli returns home as the sun is rising and the sun is burning him. And he manages to make it back to his apartment and into the bathroom and he passes out for the day. So unfortunately, he's unable to go back to destroy Hawken. Mm-hmm. He
1: got the supplies to do it, but doesn't have time. So it's just to have time. like, do it tomorrow, I guess. Oh. Yeah.
0: Tommy, still in the shelter room, tries to open the door, but... As Tori had explained, Eli had used a stake or like a broomstick to keep the wheel from turning to keep Hawken in, not realizing that Tommy was there. Hawken reaches for Tommy, but has no eyes. Tommy hits him in the face with with the statue that he had stolen, like the statue of a trophy that he had stolen from Stefan. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Stefan goes down to have a chat with Tommy before he leaves for school, but finds blood on the basement floor. And he hears something coming from the shelter that sounds like a prayer. He opens the door to find Tommy repeatedly bashing Hawkins' head in with the statue, and the body is still somehow moving. And the, the praying that he heard was really Tommy singing a children's nurse, like rhyming song. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that Tommy has been doing this all day. He's <laughs> been like, doing it for a very long time. and like, Yeah, he's, he's been doing him. it for a few hours.
1: With the beats of the little like rhyme that he's doing. Yeah. And, yeah so and he, he has beaten this thing to a bloody pulp and the body's
0: still moving. So oof. still, it still moves. And the statue is like busted. He's, he only has the like foundation part. It's like a, the statue is like a trophy and the foundation part is all he has left. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in the hospital, while Locke is still sleeping, Virginia asks a nurse to open the blinds and let in the sunlight, wherein she, wherein she is engulfed in flames. Two of the other restaurant regulars arrive shortly thereafter to visit her and find Locke in the hall. It smells like ash. Locke tells them that she burned, as hospital workers are in a state of chaos in her room trying to figure out what happened. They take him home, and he says that he is going to kill the person who attacked her. Yeah, Lockheed's out for revenge. He is out. He's out 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 for for revenge. revenge. Yeah.
1: Which, I don't know, like, my reaction to becoming a vampire would be different, obviously. But, like, Virginia's cool. Like, she's a great character. Because I love that she's realized she's this thing. She doesn't want to be this thing. And she figures out how to not be that thing. So, I guess, good for
0: her. Yeah. No, I respect her decision. (laughs) Oh, for sure. And she didn't take out anybody.
1: No, she didn't kill anyone. So... She almost killed Gosta, but it didn't work out. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oscar goes to school that day, but he leaves early and shoplifts a, r- a proper Rubik's cube as a goodbye present for Elay. On the way home, he sees a paper and realizes that they've identified the man who lived with Elay. and Oscar worries that he will be traced to Eli. He tries to rush home to warn Elay, but Johnny and his friends are on the train platform waiting and attack. They almost throw him in front of a train, Before pulling him back at the last second
1: yeah I'm sorry these kids are fucking brutal and like I would not be sad if Oscar like ripped all their faces off like they are so awful
0: like they are they are horrendous and honestly I had a I had a bully who looking back like through the eyes of an adult I can safely say that she had mental illness that she was dealing with mm -hmm. and she was pretty brutal to me and i don't doubt that had i stayed in pennsylvania like shit would have escalated to this level jeez that's I've, I've gotten into two fights one in fifth grade and then the other in second grade second wow. I mean, sixth grade excuse me sixth grade <laughs> one in fifth grade and then the other in sixth grade and oh no and another in seventh grade so yeah fifth jeez. sixth and seventh so around the around the age that oscar is and uh, yeah different kids all each time different schools three different schools three different kids i know i'm a common denominator in them but like you know some people like to pick on on others and yeah it's just fucking terrifying to me that kids can be that i mean i know they can (laughs) absolutely but like yeah And people, like, a lot of people, like, live in with rose-tinted glasses on. Like, they don't believe that, like, kids can be, like, this cruel. And I'm like, oh, they absolutely can. Yeah. Absolutely. Of their own volition, you know? Yeah.
1: So, meanwhile, Lackey recognizes Hawken from the Chinese restaurant when he sees him in the paper. And he remembers they had drinks. And he also remembers that Hawken lived a few doors down from him. And now that he's been identified as the murderer, he's like, okay, well, that's something. So he arrives drunk at the building. He's been drinking. He's been grieving for Virginia. He's not in a good state. So police are actually there because obviously Hawkin has been found in the basement. And so they are there to retrieve what is left of him. Probably not much anymore. Um, but Locke manages to get upstairs. He goes into the apartment where he knew Hawken lived. And he looks around, and he finally opens the bathroom, and he finds Ely in a bathtub full of red liquid. And while he was there, like, he grabbed a knife from the kitchen, so he, like, is prepared. And the door was
0: unlocked. That's how he got in. Ely, like, the last thought of consciousness that he had was, oh, shit, I should have probably locked the front door. (laughs) Right, (laughs) because, again,
1: was rushing in with those supplies he stole to get rid of Hawkins' body. As he's burning, right so he did not lock the front door so always lock your door kids but yeah so he just basically tries the door walks in gets a knife from the kitchen and it's like looking around and then finds ely in this like in this red liquid which is really odd to me but anyway Mm.
0: um, really explained
1: he drains the bathtub finds ely there and is going to kill ely because he now realizes this child is some kind of monster that turned virginia and killed yake and he needs to kill it so oscar finally gets home and he too encounters the cops and sees that they're there but he manages to get in the building as well because he lives there and he gets up to ely's apartment but the door is ajar so he goes in and he finds Lake standing over ely with a knife and Locke is like trying to justify killing Ely, like this thing killed, it's going to kill again. This is why Virginia's dead. But obviously, is struggling with
0: it because it looks like a sleeping child. So yeah, he has to keep like reminding himself, it's not a kid, it's not a kid, it's a monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so while
1: he's doing that, trying to like convince himself to kill this vampire, Oscar hits him over the head with the Rubik's cube, and it doesn't do a lot because it's made of plastic and it's not super effective as a weapon. But it distracts Locke, and when Locke turns back, Ely is awake. So Ely jumps on Locke and bites his neck, and he doesn't even notice Oscar's in the room. And Oscar just kind of watches that happen, backs out, closes the bathroom door, and locks it, and goes to sit in the living room. He's like, okay, I'm going to let this happen, and I'm not going to get involved. Which, good call! Good call, kid. It's very, like... I can see you're
0: busy. <laughs>
1: yeah, one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, no, it's so I'll just great. Just go wait. It's so great. <laughs> so now we're at part five: the newspaper's report of the capture of the ritual killer. Oscar spends the rest of the day and evening with Elay, who apologizes for causing all of this trouble. Oscar tosses some things of Elay's over to his own balcony to keep it safe. Elay asks if Oscar would like to become like him. Oscar says no, but he'd still like to be with Elay. Police begin to saw the lock off the door, so they jump down into the bushes below. Elay then kisses Oscar, and Oscar sees himself as Elay sees him. Handsome, taller, prouder, strong. Capable, yeah. Very yeah. capable. Yeah, it's a very pivotal moment for him. So Oscar then puts Elay's stuff in the basement. Then, he's worrying about having to go back to school and face his bullies. In his childlike wisdom, he takes some accelerant over to the school that evening and sets fire to Johnny's desk as well as the desk of Tomas. What Oscar does not realize is that inside of Johnny's desk is a memorabilia album that he was borrowing from his older brother Jimmy, which contains the only photographs and mementos of their late father. The fire explodes and singes Oscar's eyelashes. Rookie mistake, Oscar. You should have lit everyone's desk on fire. You look sus.
1: Yeah. Well, and now his eyelashes are burned because he used way too much accelerant. He does not know what he's doing. This is like mm-hmm. baby's first arson. Like he does yeah. not know what's what to do. Mm-hmm. Also, like I get why Lindquist has the memorabilia album in there to give like Johnny's brother more motivation to her Oscar and like reasons to really be angry at him. But like they're such jerks. Like I don't even know if they need it to be honest. Like I could see them just being dicks to be dicks.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, before the memorial album even or memorabilia album came into play, I mean they were still jerks just to be
1: right. Jer- I mean they were holding him in front of a non coming train, so it's not like they mm-hmm. weren't gonna hurt him anyway. But yeah, I guess that's just more fuel for their fury fire
0: mm-hmm. and and why things escalate the way they do. Um, and Jimmy like. It's- comes in sporadically throughout the book. He's the older brother of Johnny. And he's already like a a massive delinquent. He's like about 17 or something. And he's no good. So Oscar stays home from school the next few days. Um every time the phone rings, it's the principal and Oscar quickly hangs up. Yeah. That's gonna work. That's gonna work out. Oscar's mother comes home and tells him that they think that he was the one who set the fire, which Oscar denies. So at some point midweek, Oscar's friend Johan calls and asks if he wants to hang out, but Oscar tells him he's going to training class at the, at the gymnasium. Johan's report of the fire is mild compared to what Oscar's mother has told him, which was that the classroom was ruined. In actuality, Johan is with Johnny and his older brother, Jimmy, who used Johan as a ruse to pinpoint where Oscar was going to be that night. hmm Yeah. After training that night, Johnny, Jimmy, and their friends distract the coach, Mr. Avila, and lock him in his office before they corner Oscar in the pool. Jimmy proposes a little game. He will hold Oscar underwater, and Oscar must stay there for five minutes or else Jimmy will slash him with his knife. As Oscar is being held underwater, Ile arrives and gets Johan to invite him in. We then cut to the epilogue, where a cop is looking at the report. The witnesses say an angel rescued Oscar and tore Johnny and Jimmy apart, leaving their heads in the pool. Mm -hmm. Oscar is now missing. Meanwhile, yeah, yeah, Oscar is now missing. So we
1: don't get the scene where Ely rips them apart. We just cut to an epilogue and the report is like, yep, this angel came in and rescued the kid and like the kid's now missing. And these other kids' body parts are strewn all over and their heads are in the pool. So Mm -hmm.
0: Ooh, vicious,
1: vicious. Go, Ely. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Oscar, meanwhile, is on a train with a giant trunk and a couple of boxes. The conductor, Stefan, asks what's in the trunk, and Oscar tells him a eh, little bit of everything. It will be dark when they arrive, the conductor warns, worrying how Oscar will manage with all that stuff. Oscar says not to worry, that he will have help. And that's the end. Yep, that's the end of the book. So Oscar's
1: on a train with a trunk that is perfectly sized to fit a small vampire perhaps
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh yeah is, is running away i feel bad for oscar's mom i gotta say that's gonna be rough for her but yeah good for them though good for them
0: so uh final thoughts on the book
1: yeah, so I really like how Lindquist tells the story of these events and how they affect the entire community. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good at that. And Handling the Undead, it's a very similar thing where it's like an ensemble cast and it's how these things affect different people. And then obviously the stories kind of come together and culminate at the end. So I think he has a real talent for that. It's almost Stephen King esque in a way, but like I feel like he does it better than Stephen King, which that might be blasphemous I, I to say. But. Um, he has just a really good way of like, and Stephen King is good at this too, about having like the little characters that like really stand out and you show different perspectives of what's happening in the world. But yeah, Lindquist is just really good at that. And I think this book re- works really well for that because you have your main players, but you also just have this whole world of people and that everyone that's getting affected. And like, you see how the death of one person trickles down and affects all these other people. And so it's
0: just, it's really well done and clever. It's really interesting because Lindquist did not set out to actually write a vampire book he wanted like the motivation for writing this book was actually to write about the suburb that he grew up in which was Blackberry Mm -hmm. and so he wanted to write this story about this you know suburb that he grew up in and like about like all these different perspectives and of like all of like these different you know characters and the goings-on and it just kind of organically happened that it turned out it's a vampire (laughs) yeah
1: no I mean it's really cool and it is very like you can tell his inspiration was based on like a real place and like just the feeling like probably not specific real people except the bullies although maybe there were specific real people but just everyone in it is very fleshed out and very real and it feels like a really Mm -hmm. real place so yeah it's very good I also really love Ely and Oscar's dynamic like they're so cute it's just like Mm -hmm. adorable I just want to like pinch their little cheeks and be like you guys are so cute and I I really love I think it's like the third or fourth time they talk at some point when they talk Ely repeats what Oscar said while he was stabbing the tree about like you know which he was basically repeating the sort of stuff that Johnny says to him when he bullies him
0: yeah like squeal piggy and
1: Yeah but like that I think really drew Ely to Oscar because I think she saw that in him like that need to lash out but also like the fact that he had a little bit of a I don't want to say violent streak but like a dark streak in him Mm -hmm. and I that he wouldn't be horrified by like what Ely is and I think maybe she kind of saw that and then kind of tested the waters and it turned out to be true. So yeah, I really, I really like it. I think it's such a great story and I think they're, they're very cool characters.
0: Yeah. I don't know how much I can stress how much that I love this book, like top three favorite vampire books easily. Definitely oh, wow. My, yeah. Definitely my top three favorite vampire films. Ooh, like, top three, you guys, yeah, you heard like, it here.
1: Top three. That is, that is a ringing endorsement.
0: Yeah, I I love them so much, but I also like love the concept of child vampires too. Yes, like, you do. I I'm a I'm a huge fan, and the fact that this one has I'm going to say a happy ending uh, because I'm I'm speaking very specifically to Oscar and Elay, uh-huh. <laughs> not happy, not happy for anyone else but them. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> I mean, um, I'm trying. To I'm explain. happy that
0: Tommy didn't die.
1: Yeah. Tommy didn't die. We didn't mention that, but he was like taken away. And I think probably he'll probably have a lot of therapy. Yeah.
0: He's going to be, he's going to be needing a lot of TLC for mm-hmm. the trauma, but cause like, okay. And we did forget to mention this. And, but I'm going to say, I love this part where Tommy cause it switches back to Tommy's perspective when, um, Ele and Haken were having like their final confrontation and Tommy was like, it's my friend, my little friend, <laughs> my little friend is in trouble, you know, like he really wanted to help Eli and he didn't know like what to do, you know? Yeah. It was good. Yeah. It was very sweet. So yeah, I do feel really bad for Tommy and like all the therapy that he's, you know, going to need and stuff, but I'm glad that he's alive. But, um, but yeah, like I, I like kid vampires. I mean, I have seriously out of this whole book, other than the cat stuff, obviously, uh-huh. <laughs> like, I think that's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's, I think one of those things going for novels that you just have to like, I don't want to say suck up, but you just have to like prepare yourself for a little bit, you know, and like maybe get it vetted from people and stuff. But um, I only have honest to God, one quibble about this book and it is only with the translation. So this story takes place in 1981 and the translator of the English version Sought fit to add a localization that Oscar collects Goosebumps books. And I'm like, dude, Goosebumps books are like at least a decade away.
1: Like, yeah, the timing doesn't work out. I totally get what he was doing because Oscar is this kid who's like obsessed with true crime and like monsters. And obviously, if he's reading Goosebumps books, he's not going to be as freaked out by, event. you know what I mean? Like I get the point, but you're right. Like I guess so. But it's like, yes. you couldn't have
0: even put like Fangoria or something, you know, like, like, like some sort of horror mag, like underground horror magazine that was like prevalent around the time or, you know what I mean? It, you know, like d- just scary story. I don't even know when scary stories. Are told in the dark, the first one came out. I think it was a little later. I think it was like 85, but still like, do slight like a slight bit of research even like the, my friend the vampire that was being you know released around that time so it's like a simple google man
1: yeah it's a stupid mistake i didn't notice it i noticed that he read goosebumps books i was like oh okay it didn't click in my head that this was in 1981 and those would not have existed yet so yeah whoops
0: <laughs> so tori let's talk about um how vampirism works in this world
1: yeah, so I kind of just made a list, and I know you added to it too, of just stuff mm-hmm. that I gleaned from the book of how vampires work, because we don't actually get like a breakdown, obviously, you just kind of figure it out. No, no, just yeah, good. Sure. Not that I mind if a book wants to give me a straight up guide, but it usually doesn't work that way. So um, it seems like their fangs might be kind of concealed and they either come out when they want to show them or like when they're going to drink blood. I'm not entirely sure on that though. Maybe Ely's just really good at like hiding them. Vampires do need to drink blood every few days. We learned from Ely that going without it can make them look shriveled and dehydrated. Like she starts to look really sick. And Oscar even notes like how Ely looks kind of ill and then looks better a few days later after Ely drinks blood. And also, a vampire's hair starts to turn white if they don't drink blood every couple of days. So that's an interesting detail, too.
0: Mm. And I wonder if that happens to her when she sleeps. Maybe. Like, is she like a husk, you know?
1: I don't know. We learned that cancer and other diseases apparently taste bad. They don't seem to really hurt. Apparently, Ely says he could still drink the blood but it just tastes really gross. It's the morphine in the blood that keeps Ely from really drinking much of it because that makes him high as shit. So (laughs) if you want to protect yourself from vampires, do drugs. (laughs) Terrible advice. Because then they'll just fuck off and think that they're a wizard. (laughs) Yep, exactly. So there's your protection, I guess. Um, They have to avoid sunlight. The exposure will blister and burn them, and it gets worse after you're turning, like when Virginia first starts noticing it it's not super bad it's just like pinpricks and it hurts and it does blister and turn red but like once she's further along in the change it's like her skin turns to ash very quickly so she's just like whoa so obviously if you've been a vampire for any good amount of time you are not going to be out in the sunlight without it having very disastrous effects and biting someone without breaking their neck or destroying the body is will infect them so you don't actually have to turn somebody you just have to drink from them and then not properly kill them and they will become a vampire they can however heal from a lot as we learn from Hawkin. although at that mm-hmm. point his brain has been bashed in from falling 10 stories and he is not himself anymore he is like a walking he's zombie vampire zombie. infection yeah. yeah
0: yeah he's definitely a uh what is that called a revenant
1: yes yeah that kind of thing where he's just not him, he's a walking vampire infection zombie thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And obviously they must be invited in or their pores open and they bleed horribly from everywhere. So it's yeah. not like in Buffy where Angel just falls backwards and like an idiot, which is my favorite thing. Uh when he tries to walk through a door. You you, you really you can walk in, but it will have very disastrous effects. So yeah, not a good idea.
0: It's a nice safety valve for humans. Yeah. So Ely also has the ability to fly. She can sprout these wings that are very much like a, like a thin, but strong membrane and her hands and feet elongate into bat-like appendages. So just think of like bat wings. Mm -hmm. Um, And she does do this from time to time in the book. And this is mostly shown in the film, but Eli cannot consume human food without becoming violently ill, which really bums me out. I don't want to be that kind of vampire.
1: I mean, I do. I feel like I don't want to have to eat if I'm a vampire. I feel like the blood
0: is enough. I don't want to also have to go grocery shopping. That feels like No, I'm not saying have to, but like you have the choice like, oh, to blend in that you still have like the ability to consume like human food. It doesn't nourish you in any way, but it's not going to harm you. You know what I mean? It's just
1: for me, it's like more like blending. Gotcha. I would not mind if I was not able to. I would miss cheese and sushi, but I feel like the benefits would make up for it. So
0: I'd be okay. This is true. So now we can talk about the movie. The screenplay was written by John Avita Lindquist, which is probably why the movie adaptation is quite similar to the book.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is incredibly similar to the book. Like it is a straight adaptation. So much so that I kind of wonder, because I have never seen it without reading the book. I... Listened to the audiobook back when it came out in the US originally, and then I watched the movie pretty quickly after that because I think the book came out in 2007, the movie was made in 2008, and I think I watched it probably around that time. So, I do wonder if you hadn't read the book, if the movie might create some questions because there are some things yes. where, like, it's explained, but yeah, it's it could be explained a little better for the movie, and it's just not like if you've read the book, it's very obvious, but if you haven't, you might be like, huh,
0: what's going on there? Yeah, and I extrapolate a little bit on that in my thoughts. Um, I did see the movie first. Oh, okay. Yeah, but then I promptly read the book. Oh, gotcha. I'll just say like, it does
1: leave out Tommy and anything with Hawken after the hospital, so like she does visit him in the hospital, bite his neck, and then he falls out the window, or jumps out the window, and then that's the end of that. So And that's fine. For the movie, like, we don't need the extra plot line of, like, finding the killer. There's not a lot about the killer going on. We hear about the murder, and like, yeah, it's just there's a lot less of that. Hawkins' acid burn face is much less grotesque than described. To which yeah. it is pretty bad on one side, but the other side looks kind of fine. So it's more like two face. Yeah, Batman. it's a very very Batman two face. And Hawkins is way more incompetent at in killing, which he doesn't do a lot of it in the movie. Mm-mm. But the first time when he's killing the kid, like the teenager from sports practice or whatever, like he's killing him and he's draining the blood out. And he's got the container of blood and this dog starts running towards him and he can hear the owner coming and he grabs his stuff and runs, but he leaves the blood there. And I was just like yelling at the screen, like, grab the blood, you idiot. Ely needs the blood and he just doesn't he doesn't take even it. realize
0: it until he's like on the subway and he looks in, and he's like, oh, shit.
1: God. So anyway, not that I mean. Yeah, he's just a really incompetent murderer and he's worse in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the acting is really good. The kid who plays Eli, I'm not going to try and say any of the actors' names because they're all very Swedish and I would probably butcher them. But the kid who plays Eli is such a great actor and does just a really amazing job. Like everyone is good, but though, I think it's a young girl who plays Eli, but she's just mm-hmm. really, really good.
0: Yeah, I I feel like everyone is so perfectly like cast, especially. Uh her name is Lena, L- Lena Lee Anderson. Okay. So that's not that hard to say. It's Not hard know. to say. Um Oscar's name is like, I think it's like Carrie or Kari Hedebrandt And they're just amazing. And I've seen a couple of like little interviews with them, both in English and Swedish. And she is just like, she's got like the most bubbly personality. Oh wow. Yeah, she's super extroverted. Like she was so excited and stuff by all the uh the press and the hype that like you know this this film generated and stuff but and he's he's way more quiet like he's just like oh, i don't know what the fuck to say <laughs> so, but yeah so she she usually takes the lead in interviews um at least the ones in english right so um but it's funny um i'd have to look at m- i guess more modern pictures of her but when i saw her on like this little red carpet for the empire awards back in like 2008 2009 she was very tan like it was like it looked like a maybe like a spray tan or something so it was really fun to like see her like not (laughs) pale and sickly you know i mean not the opposite thing that like pale people are sickly like they like the makeup was very intentionally to make her look unnaturally pale Mm -hmm. um so, you know, she, I think she did that to like contrast like, hi, this is me. I'm actually a very healthy, you know, sprightly <laughs> young human girl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're very darling. Um, and I would absolutely 100% watch them in other Swedish films or English films, any films. And that scene where Eli gets mad at Hakan for, you know, fucking up and leaving the blood. Oh my God. The way the sound mixer alters her voice slightly Cause you don't see her, you just hear her kind of like barking at him and stuff, and it makes her sound inhuman. Like mm-hmm. that was pretty scary. Yeah, was like oh god. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty effective. Um, One of the scenes that kind of makes me chuckles when Oscar stays behind after class and he's to like work out the Morse code, you know, for Elay, and the teacher's like, "Okay, well, you know, just turn off the lights when you're done." <laughs> and, like he's staying at the office, but the boss is like, "Hey, I'm off duty." TTFN. <laughs> so- yeah. you yeah know, classroom chores tori like clapping erasers and stuff uh vaguely vaguely yeah. yeah but i i love that the teacher was just like yeah i'm gonna fuck off bye yeah
1: no i thought that was really funny he just leaves him like i was like okay I but guess then like, like in the supervised. long shot with him
0: like leaving i do see her outline like in an office or something so i i under i was like okay so there she is but but the way like that scene ended i was just like okay then <laughs> just gonna leave the kid here I thought that there were two scenes that were conveyed, I would say better, but because it's a visual medium, they're more compelling in the film. So the first was the pole that Oscar found to hit Johnny's ear with. Uh-huh. It was the same pole with which Hawkins used to sink Yoke's body. Yes. And I thought it was a nice juxtaposition because it was a red pole. So it's like this pop of color against that blistering cold landscape. And I also thought the pool murder scene was much more satisfactory in visual medium, as we only learn of what happened in the aftermath of the book. But in the film, we see parts of it happen in real time because you see Jimmy's head going into the pool, which is <laughs> you just see it
1: drop into the water behind Oscar. Yep,
0: yeah, yeah, was good. I would have liked to have seen Ely fly, but I'm sure for budgetary reasons, it just like they probably were like, we're not going to be able to make this look good
1: no there's no way and i so. think it works really well the way they did it because it is kind of from oscar's perspective even though he's mm-hmm. got his eyes closed and we kind of just yeah see yeah stuff yeah up in the pool and, and all of a sudden like, like and then we Jimmy's just see bodies just floating <laughs> yeah and there's just bodies lying around the pool and you're like okay and yeah. one
0: of the kids is in the is like on the thing crying kind of yeah like, yeah because she does spare johan in the um the kid who let her in uh-huh he was oscar's friend but he was like being sucked in by these bullies. Cause he's the one I believe who gave Oscar the slash on his cheek. And it's like, he didn't want to, but like they, you know, they're bullies and they're egging him on, you know, they're turning. Yeah. Like, well, and, pitted, it's, and it's hard. It's you know? hard. And
1: also like, you can tell when he calls Oscar to find out where he's going to be, that he feels bad. And yeah, you can exactly. tell that like when they're at the pool in the like, movie, they're just using him
0: to like torment Oscar, which is awful. So. yeah
1: and when they're at the pool like he's kind of got that like in the book he's telling them to, he's like maybe we should stop but like in the
0: movie mm-hmm. he just got this look on his face like this is going too far we yeah. shouldn't like, be he just show, sits like- down and starts crying yeah so yeah so were there any scenes that you felt were like more compelling like as visual i don't know if they were more compelling i did like
1: how they did ely when um ely walks in without being invited and starts yeah. to bleed i thought because i was trying to picture that and like it just feels like when you read the book like it's it's probably way more grotesque in the world of the book where like it's just from everywhere but I thought they did it really effectively because it does just kind of start small and then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden blood's just like oozing out of her eyes and her nose and down her forehead and face and you're just like whoa and Oscar's just like okay okay you're invited in you know and his panic was really good so I thought that scene
0: was really well done yeah agreed So the film is like, you know, definitely a parred down version of the book. And sometimes when books are adapted to film, a lot of the quote unquote, like fat has been trimmed so much that it loses flavor. I would argue that this is not the case with Let the Right One In. I think the most glaring difference is the handling of Håkon. Like in the film, he is far more pathetic, even sympathetic. Like he's literally gone within 55 minutes of the film, like the halfway marker. Like I said, I watched the film first, right? So I, I actually, you know, felt for this this poor sob. You know, I was like, oh my god, this poor thrall, and he just throws himself out this window. Oh my god, like you know, like probably spills acid life with on his her face and stuff. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I read the book, and I was like, Oh, okay, never mind. I don't really feel all that bad for you. Yeah.
1: So, I like, mean, I feel a little bad, but not like so bad that I'm like, oh, I'm gonna cry for this dude. Not, I mean, whatever. Right, his own situation. I
0: mean, like, so <laughs> watching the film and not reading the book became a, a, actually quite a big issue because of the ambiguity of the ending lent credence to a ludicrous hot take that so many, especially American consumers of the film had um, that Oscar is a substitute for Hawken and Eli was grooming him. And I'm like, okay, one, Eli is not that sophisticated. Like she is still emotionally and mentally 12 years old. <laughs> like she's not not going to be grooming anybody. No. Well, um, and
1: that's made very clear
0: to Like she, It's not like she, because some
1: vampires like Claudia are like, you could say Claudia at that point is a 60 year old woman, like mentally, whatever. She may look like she's five, but she's emotionally mature Yeah, in some ways, as mature as any of the vampires get. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like Ely is very much, she acts like a kid. Like she loves the kids jokes. And like Hawken even notes that now that she's hanging out with another kid, she seems more like a
0: kid to him. And it's well, kind of I'm, I'm, off-putting. And I'm, only, I'm only referring to the film, though.
1: I know. I'm just saying in the book, like, it's yeah. very clear that, like, yeah. she is a kid. So, yeah, that is missing from
0: the movie because you don't necessarily get that. You don't get that, right. So, um, so the author actually had to go on record to slam down this theory. Like, cause, I mean, it totally bewildered him. But this is also now, like, a perfect moment then to segue into the short story sequel, Let the Old Dreams Die. Okay, which I have not read, so I'm excited to hear about this. I read it right before we started recording.
1: <laughs> don't tell people that. We don't want them to know we're procrastinators. I'm not a procrastinator. <laughs> I just wanted to get have it fresh. Oh, in, I see. Gotcha. Okay.
0: <laughs> I am a procrastinator. I'm really bad. Anyway, it's okay. <laughs> so, like I said, if you only ever watch the film, I understand then, you know, like why people like can can jump to this theory right? That like, this is a cycle that Ely goes through of like, a, you know, making a friend of a human who then grows up to be, you know, their protector and, um, and procures blood for them, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like a companion and mm-hmm. a companion assistant, obviously reading the book, you know, that that's not true, but with this short story, you definitively know that that is not true. Let the Old Dreams Die tells the love story of Stefan, the ticket taker on the train Oscar boarded at the end of the book and the film, and Karen, a detective on the case of the ritual murderers turned swimming pool massacre turned Oscar Erickson's disappearance. We learn that in the course of years, Karen has been able to connect other unsolved baffling murders all- throughout Sweden, along with little details. We, the readers know from having read, let the right one in. Okay. So like those previous murders in those previous towns, she's like, Oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. She also knows that the blood splatter on the ceiling at the gym Um, like above the pool, and the wound of the head means that the head itself was torn off. Like it couldn't have been cut off. It couldn't have been shot off or sawed. It had to have been ripped. And she said that it was something only with the force of an elephant or more could accomplish. So shortly before she retires in 1994, she theorizes that the perpetrator really is a vampire. something with supernatural force as it is the only explanation that makes sense after all these years nice I like Karen a lot yeah she's she's so dope so Karen dismisses this because you know human human brain logic but the case still bothers her well into her retired years we also learn that prior to boarding the train Stefan witnessed Oscar and Ely together sitting on the trunk with their fingers intertwined and their palms rubbing together Stefan was about to approach them because Ely was only wearing a t-shirt and he was concerned, but Ely jumped up in a posture of menace, a knife in her hand. Stefan saw their wounds. They had mixed blood. He instinctively knew that she was going to kill him for interrupting them, but he was thankfully saved by a train whistle, meaning he had to leave. Yeah. So then in 2008, Karen is forwarded a letter enclosed with a photograph taken in Barcelona, which clearly shows Ely and Oscar in the background of an otherwise innocuous family photo taken at night with a flash on. And Oscar is still at the age in which people last saw him in 1981. Oh, cool. Cool. So Karen and Stefan decide to leave their life in Sweden to go to Barcelona, presumably to find the two vampire kids. There's a lot more to it than this. I'm just condensing it. Uh Uh-huh, for sure. Yeah, as it all relates to Ely and Oscar. And I'm keeping out like the rest. Yeah, it's a very good short story, but it, it definitely definitively confirms that Oscar did become a vampire.
1: Nice. That's cool. Yeah, I was kind of worried about him because you do worry like, oh, man, he's going to get older. He's going to start to be like, I mean, he might not, but you never know that that could sour real quickly. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, that's cute. That's cute. He's a vampire and
0: they are little vampire tweens in love.
1: Oh, very, very adorable. And I love Karen. Karen is my new favorite. I'm going to have to read that story because I love detectives who put it together and like believe in the supernatural. So I'm like, yes.
0: Yeah, you'll like it cool well it's not it's not very long it's you know just a few pages oh yeah totally so Tori you know my love and adoration for this book and film um what about yourself so I really do love this book I loved it the first time I read it I
1: thought it was really really good I think the movie is great like you said it's a pretty solid adaptation it is a little bit sparse in terms of the details but that's going to happen when you have like a much faster pace two hours yeah it is. And they leave out stuff and I, I understand why they made those choices. I don't think they left out anything that's detrimental to the story. So it works. I don't think it was, it's not one of my top three, but like it's definitely in the top 20. I literally could not sit down and make a list of like my favorite top 10 vampire books. Like there are just too many. And a lot of them are series. And then I have to decide like which book in the series like I want to put, you know, like it's just I can't rank them that way. It wouldn't work for me. But it's really good. It's definitely one of my favorites. It's one that I've recommended to people over and over. I really enjoy the audio book. I think the audio book was really good. Um, I also listened to the other Handling the Undead on audio and I really liked that. So I thought that was really good. I actually read it this time, so I didn't do the audio. But yeah, I think it's a really solid vampire book. It's really cute. I'm not as big of a fan of vampire children as you are, but this is definitely one of the really solid vampire books that I would tell people that if you really like vampires, you should probably read this one. It's very good. Yeah. And I think Ely and Oscar are very cute. And I am glad to know that he became a vampire and now they're vampires running around.
0: <laughs> running around in Barcelona.
1: Yeah, it's cute.
0: Yeah, I also I- like the vampire,
1: just how vampires work in this world. I think it's really interesting because it's, Different enough that it's like not a total, just like standard vampire, whatever, but it's not so far removed that you're like, that's not a vampire. So, you know, I thought that was cool. And he has like, I love the thing about them bleeding when they walk in. I think that's a really cool, I think so too. Detail like, if they're not invited in, I think that's a really neat mythology. So, thank you for joining us for this installment of our vampire book club. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of Let the Right One In. Please let us know what you think of Let the Right One In. I'd be happy to hear your thoughts. I know Chell would love to talk to you about it. I would love to talk to you about it. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. We'll have social media links in the show notes. Thanks for
0: joining us. This is Tori and Chell wishing you a fangtabulous evening with vampire wishes and batty nightmares.
1: This podcast was edited by me, Tori. Our music is edited and mixed by Vikra the Never Living and includes Dark Halloween Night by Chase Allen Willis and Toccata and Fugue in D Minor by Johann Sebastian Bach, performed by
0: Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to join our hellish crusade, please leave us five stars on Apple and Spotify. Be sure to tell your favorite blood-sucking themes about vampires ruined my life.